0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. John 3 and 8 says the wind blows where it listeth the wind blows where it listeth John 14 16 and 18 in the NIV says and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever everybody say forever Forever. the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 16 and 7 in the Revised Standard Version. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to talk about tonight one more time, questing for the wind, questing for the wind. We're gonna go in this series as long as I feel God wants me to go in it. We're gonna go in this. I'm feeling, the, I'm feeling releasing the Holy Ghost to do this. Last week we spoke on four things the Holy Spirit will do in one's life. Number one, it'll give you power to shower the gospel of Christ boldly. Number two, it'll give you power when you're weak. Number three, it gives you hope in a hopeless world. And number four, it gives us power to experience all of God's fullness. amen to that tonight. And I want to I wanna, I wanna do a little different. I want to preach a little different tonight, if you don't mind. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to start in the Old Testament tonight, and I'm going to build up to the New Testament to the day of Pentecost. So with God's help and with your help, I'm going to teach a little bit tonight. Would you let me teach the word to you tonight? Amen. God bless You, you may be seated. Let me begin tonight with a story, a story of salvation, a story of a lamb. Israel is captured. Israel didn't mean to be captured. They walked in. They were helped by a brother named Joseph, and they stayed because a famine was in Israel. But now, 430 years has passed, several generations, and they are held captive in Egypt. Joseph is dead. Egyptians are pressing the Israelites. They're beating them. They're making them work hard for their wages. They're destitute in a land called Goshen. They cry out, and God hears them, and he institutes a plan. And in Exodus 12, the plan comes to fruition. God always has a plan for his children who are bound. He will never leave us in bondage. He will deliver us from our captivity. Every home, he said, I want you to take a lamb, one year old. If the house is too small for the lamb, I want you to share it. I want you to roast it with fire. I want you to eat all of it. Don't leave leave anything, even the pertinence thereof, the, the, the guts and the gizzards and all that. And then he said, I want you to put your shoes on. I want you to put your staff in your hand. I want you to get ready to leave. Oh, and by the way, put the blood of the lamb on the door. This will be a saving grace for your house. The death angel will pass by this night and see the blood. And when he passes by and sees the blood on your house, he will pass over. He will not take the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of the family. Hence, we got the word, the Passover. Let me use a word here that's tough for some people who have been in certain religious circles for a long time. The people of Israel were saved that night. Say saved. saved. That's a good word from destruction. Anytime you read the word saved, it means you're saved from something, not saved to something. The death of the firstborn. They were saved, but they were still in Egypt. What a dilemma. There's a lot of people that I preach to that are saved from things because God has coming to your life, but you're still living in Egypt. Now, God saved them from where they were. Oh, I'm fixed to preach tonight. But he loved them too much to leave them there. He brought them out. He brought them out. The blood-bought people must flee Egypt. You cannot stay in Egypt when the blood of the Lamb has been applied to your life. So he brought them to the Red Sea under the tutelage of Moses. And Moses stretched forth his rod, and the sea parted. First Corinthians 10 and 1, is not on the screen, said, Do not be ignorant, for all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Say amen to that. Amen. Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29 says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Everybody say the Egyptians, the Egyptians were, drowned. were drowned. The Israelites, the Israelites were, were safe. safe. That's a type of baptism. They passed through the Red Sea on dry land. The same water that opened for them drowned the Egyptians. Baptism makes your past just that. It's drowned. That's why the devil still hates water. When he's cast out of a house, he goes looking for a dry place to put his foot. You know why? Because he can't handle water. Because water's done him in too many times. He can't handle water. And that's why, when you quote it, when the enemy comes in, there's the comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Because hell can't handle water. And that's why water baptism still works in your life today. Say amen to that. Amen. 50 days later, They come across the Red Sea in 50 days after Passover, the Feast of Pentecost. Moses receives the law, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral law. And for the next 40 years, watch this now. For the next 40 years, 38 of them at Kadesh Barnea. But the next 40 years, people saved from destruction, Egypt. People baptized in the Red Sea. Wandered, just wondered in the wilderness. For 40 years. It should have been a 10 day journey. That's how long they tarred in the upper room. It's getting quiet. Because you ain't never heard this. It should have been a short journey. From the Red Sea to the promised land. But it was 40 years. Because fear will keep you out. Of what God has in fullness for you. I want to preach right now. Anything I say tonight is backed by the Bible. And I want you to not fear the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming on your life and the Holy Ghost moving in your life any time during this service. I want you to understand that God can do a miracle in your life right now as I speak the gospel to your life and to your heart tonight. Amen. He can do that. He really can. So the Lord brought them out to bring them in to something greater. The cloud, the fire, the shoes, the clothes, the manna, the healing, the deliverance, the water. All you ever need in the wilderness. God never failed them. There was grace in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 6 and 23 said, He brought us out from thence. Watch this now. That He might bring us in to give us the land which He swore to our fathers. Let me tell you something. God never brings you out of something. That he doesn't have something better for you. God never shuts a door or a window that he doesn't open a door. God never brings you from a situation that he says, I got something so much better for you. If you could just see the glory that's waiting on the other side. If you could just see what I've got waiting on you, you'd be rejoicing right now. But the land said, in Deuteronomy 9 and 28, if you're taking notes, the land said... Whence they brought us out, they, say, they said, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. So the people of the land were saying, God is able to bring them out of Egypt, and he's able to bring them across the Red Sea, but he's not able to take them into the land of promise. Hallelujah. Let me say something. If God started something in your life, He is able to complete that which He's begun in your life. And God Almighty started you with a thing called repentance, with a thing called confession. He wanted you to be justified in His name and by His power. Then you were led to the waters of baptism, and you were buried in water with baptism with Him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you came up out of that water a brand new creature, And I'm here to tell you, God Almighty is not going to leave you in your journey. There is something so great and so awesome and so mighty and so splendorous that's waiting on you. It's called the land of Canaan. It's called the promised land. It's called something called the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire that wants to fall in your life and baptize your life and baptize your future and fix you up for a great awakening day on the other side. Amen. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm a throwback. I'm an old-time Pentecostal preacher. Canaan was the promised land. It was the inheritance. It was the promise. He said, you're going to have houses there you didn't build. There's going to be vineyards there you didn't plant. There's going to be wells there you didn't dig. But you'll have to fight because there's giants there. You know why there was giants there? Because giants always try to put fear in your heart to keep you out. What will my family say? That's a giant. What will my people at work say? That's a giant. What will the people that knew me when I was a sinner? That's a giant. God always lets you know that he can handle the giants that are trying to stop you from finishing the work that he has started in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, he said, I swore I would give you this land. I will be with you. He said, claim it. So they come to the Jordan River. It was not a sea. It was a flowing river. It kind of matches that 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 statement that Jesus said in John 7, 37, any man believed on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers. It didn't say seas. It didn't say wells. It said rivers of living water. Now, when Moses took them across the Red Sea, it took a pastor, you hear me, it took a pastor to stretch his rod out across that Red Sea. It took a man of God to put you down in water. Amen? Amen. This Word of God is the rod of God. Amen? And it took a man of God to put you down. See, there's three things that happen. Number one, you have to know what it is to say I'm sorry and be repentant. Number two, I have to be able and willing to baptize you in water and identify you the Lord Jesus Christ. But number three, God Almighty has an assignment. He fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's what I am going to tell you. If you do your part and I do my part, I've got trust in God of heaven that's going to do his part. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? How many want to clap your hands and say, that's happened to me, pastor. That's happened to me. The Holy Ghost has come into my life. That has happened to me in my life. So, when they got to the the River Jordan, there there wasn't a rod stretched forth. There was some priests carrying an ark, and they put their foot in. And when they put their foot in that river that was overflowing its banks all the way from the river from the city of Adam all the way down to the end of the, of, of the Jordan River that was overflowing its banks. And they put their foot in and the water receded 17 miles back upstream. And they walked across. Here's the point. When you come out of a world of sin, when you come out of your Egypt with the blood on your life, hallelujah, being saved from the world, And you walk across, God opens the Red Sea. He parts the waters for you. But when you come to the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit baptism in your life, nobody can part the water for you. You got to put your foot in yourself. You got to say, I trust this. I believe this. Anybody believe that God is still able to do what He did back then, right now? Anybody believe that God is still able? to feel people to thrill people to chill people with the baptism of the holy ghost and fire come on put your foot in the water put your foot in the water put your foot in the water it's a river that's going to fill you so in acts two when the day of pentecost was fully come we go from one we go from one pentecost to another pentecost the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all together in one place and all the disciples. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I put in my notes, wind is necessary for life. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Everybody say they were all filled. Everybody say they were all filled. Not 119. Not 112. They were all filled. And I think they were sitting down. God don't have you have you standing up. His power is strong enough to fill you up sitting down. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm feeling him here right now. Now, they were filled. Actually, in Acts 2, they were speaking in other human languages. There were God-fearing Jews from all over the world that were there, 17 countries. And they looked at these these people pouring out of the upper room. It had to be a a heyday and a half. Can you imagine? It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and these ignorant, unlearned Galileans who didn't know any language besides their own language. And they say, wait a minute, these 17 nationalities, that's my language. Is that what you're speaking? You're speaking my language? They were so confused at what the disciples were doing, they started to make fun of them and they said, these guys must be drunk. They must be toasted. They must be wasted. They must be high. They must be buzzed. But Peter stood with the 11 to say, no, these guys are actually not drunk. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's only 9 in the morning, and I promise you they're not drunk. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I put something in my notes here. This is just for me to you, okay? May I say something to all of you tonight? I don't want you to think I've lost my mind. I've had these kind of things happen to me, and I trust that I can stay in my right mind here tonight. I am sane, I'm in my right mind, but I've been swept away by the Holy Spirit in my life. It's been quite a ride, I might add. And I'm not ashamed one ounce, never. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. We'll fix the talk a little bit. Now, (laughs) 2,000 years later, this gift is still causing Controversy. It's still controversial. God, you're quiet. You're so afraid. I'm going to methodize this. You're so afraid. The pendulum swings big from time to time, from right to left. Like swings. If you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, you're a second-class citizen. A second-class Christian. Or to the other side, tongues... That's kind of weird. Don't understand it. These people are weird. I think it's of the devil. It swings from this side to saying, wow, tongues are awesome. To this side, tongues are of the devil. I'm somewhere in the middle because I think that's where you need to be on the highway of God. I think that speaking in tongues is something that is mighty simply because... James said, the tongue no man can tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He said, it's a fire. It defileth the whole body. And with it we bless God and we curse men. And out of our mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. And James asked, can sweet and bitter water come out of the same fountain? Can salt water and fresh water be brought out of the same fountain? Let's talk about tongues here a little bit tonight. The first time talked about tongues was Genesis chapter 11. When a man named uh, uh, Nimrod went to build a tower in the plains of Shinar. The, the, the notes are up there, the, the scriptures up there, Genesis eleven, one through nine. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, "Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly." Then they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth." But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people that the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speak in the same language, say same language, same. they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. He said, Come, let us go down, God said this, and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from where they were all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Say amen to that. So they went everywhere because God confused the language, and there was a tower being built for man, not for God. So at Pentecost 2,000 years later, God united the world again with the infilling of the Holy Ghost to 120 people. Here's how he did it. it. He made simple people speak a language that resonated in 17 nationalities. The enemy, trying to build a city and a tower to honor man, failed. The language was confounded. The Lord, putting the church on the mount, used the language to unite the world of Jerusalem, his city of peace. Language was a divider, and in Acts chapter 2, language was a uniter. And it's still the same way today. Please hear me tonight. Whether you have spoken in tongues or not, I will tell you straight on forward, it is not the works of the devil. It is the work of Almighty God. Amen. And I will tell you, it came down from God in both instances. To confound Babel and to... edifies, ...edifies the church. But at the same time, there needs to be times in our life when we get lost in the presence of God, and Almighty God speaks through us, and a language of heaven talks through our whole, our whole life, and we begin to speak in a language that we do not know, that is a gift that only God can give. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. Now, please be seated. Paul spoke about tongues in 1 Corinthians 13, scene 12. He talked about the edification of. In 14, he talked about the works of. But in 13, he talked about love. But here's how he started the love chapter. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, So that I could remove mountains and have not love. I am nothing. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. He that prophesieth edifieth the church. Let me stop here. There is nothing that God uses in this life. That we need to idolize and make an idol out of. Nothing. We cannot seek the gifts. We must seek the giver Amen. of the gifts. This is not about a gift. Let me, let me share a scripture with you that I want you to study when you get home. Jesus Christ made this statement one day. He said, I must needs go through Samaria, okay? I must needs go through Samaria. That was in John chapter 4. That was his first need. He meets a woman there at a well at high noon. He sent 12 of his disciples to town to get lunch for 13. Because he didn't want them to hear what he was going to say, this woman, because they'd be running her off when they found out where she came from. So he sits down. Here comes a woman at high noon. Now maids draw drew water at evening time. So this woman came at noon because she didn't want to be looked at down down looked down on by people that were doing better morally than she was. But she happened to come to a well one day and saw Jesus. And Jesus said, "Give me a drink." And she said, how is it you being a Jew asked me a Samaritan to give you a drink of water? And now watch this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you, you would ask him. And he would give you, oh, I'm fixed to preach now, living water that you would never thirst again. Say amen to that. Say amen to that. Now, let me, I'm going to find it here in just a minute. Let me find it. Let me find it. Because it's not on my screen. It just came to me. The Lord gave it to me this morning. Now, so she asked him, said, You're a Jew. Then she said, You're a prophet. Then she said, You're a Messiah. And they talk about all this stuff. And, and, and my, my people worship in the mountain. You say Jews are the place of worship. He said, The hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers worship is worth the Father and Spirit and truth. You know all about that. Then he said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him, 424, must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. Now watch this, we're getting close here. Which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak to thee am he. In the original he was saying, I that speak to thee is the I am that I am. Now, here's what I want to show something right now. When he offered her a gift... She passed it by. But when he showed her who he was, she grabbed a hold of it. And it was that revelation, oh my God, that made her leave her water pots and go back to the city and tell a whole city, come see a man who told me everything that I ever was. Come see a man that's more than a prophet. Because I'm telling you something, it's not about seeking gifts. It's about getting a revelation and a relationship with the one who gives the gifts to us. Oh, yes. Yes. That gift he mentioned was the same word Peter used on the day of Pentecost. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But you know what Pete said before that? Acts 2.36, he said, this Jesus that you've crucified has become both Lord and Christ. He's become both Jehovah and the Anointed One. And they were pricked in their hearts and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Pete wasn't even talking about the Holy Spirit. He was talking about a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. Oh, my God. You with me? He was talking about a revelation they said what do we need to do he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of that lord jesus christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost for the promises to you and to your children and to all that are afar off even as me as the lord our god shall call and that day three thousand people were added to the church that very day you know why because they got a revelation of who the giver was And when you get a revelation, who Jesus really is in your life, you will fall in love and come out of the water and be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire in your life. Don't seek the gift, seek the giver of the gift. Woo! hallelujah. I feel like preaching here tonight. You gotta fall in love with Jesus. You gotta fall in love with Jesus. That's what it's about. We glorify gifts. We make the gift the big deal. And Paul said, I don't care if you speak in tongues all day long. If you don't have love, you're nothing. I don't care if you prophesy to the cows come home. If you hate that brother over yonder, you ain't nothing. You're nothing. You're nothing. Don't come in here and saying la 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 I'm good. No, 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 no. You're not good. That's right. You got to get some bitterness out of that heart. Oh, I'm preaching right now. You got to fall in love with the giver of the gifts. And when you fall in love with the giver of the gifts, he'll take care of the gift, all right? You don't have to seek the gift. He'll take care of that gift. Now there about the of faith, hope and charity and the greatest of these is love. Wow. So here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. I don't want people that have never experienced Jesus Christ to have better attitudes than people that think they have a corner on the market. I believe, I had lunch with my buddy over here today. I believe that this church is about to break out of itself. And we're going to walk the streets and not have to even open our mouth. And people are going to say, what are you doing on this street? Well, I'm walking. But man, most people cut a path about this wide. You're cutting a path about this wide. I can't get around you. I can't get through you. Because something's emanating from you and you don't have to say a word, you don't have to speak a word, but the Holy Ghost is gonna make witness of your life and your spirit and your calling and whatever God has for you, and you're gonna clap your hands and rejoice. It's not gonna be just in here. It's gonna be out there because anybody can worship in the house of God. It takes somebody mighty to walk in the spirit outside the house of God. I've been in churches, and I'm embarrassed to say it, where pastors would say, Okay, everybody start speaking in tongues right now. And people lose it. They go off talking in tongues, some language. And the unbeliever says, Whoa, what's happening here? These people are crazy. And I, I probably would agree. Because this Holy Ghost is not to be shown off, it's to be shared. And I've watched some people's worship. And I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I know I'm sounding real negative right now. I'm a very positive preacher. But worship is not to draw attention to yourself. Worship is to give him glory. And any time you open your eyes from worship and everybody's staring at you, you've became the focal point. And nobody in this house is the focal point except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said... Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you. Am I preaching to you tonight? I don't want to know anything among you save Christ and Him crucified. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know how many demons you cast out. I don't want to know how many times you talk in tongues every day. I don't want to know how many times you jump up and down and say, glory, glory. I don't want you to know that. I just want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified because I know if I have a relationship with Him, He's going to take care of all this other stuff for me. Come on, clap your hands. That's good stuff whether you like that or not. That's good stuff. Don't be afraid of tongues. They are from God. But the best evidence of spirit-filled life to me is a believer who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Everybody say love. Love. Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Patience. Patience. Kindness. Kindness. Goodness. Goodness. Gentleness. 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 Faithfulness. Self-control. That'll just knock you off the seat, won't it? Well, I don't believe in all that. Well, good. I do. I believe in all that. I believe that if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you need to have the fruit of the Spirit. Is that all right? Thank you. I love people when people say about someone that is Spirit-filled, wow. That's what it must be like to be around Jesus. Jesus. That person was so much like Christ. The best evidence of a spirit-filled life that others will look at you and say, I want what you have. (laughs) Whatever they had for lunch, I want it. (laughs) Whatever they drink at night, I want it. Whatever they say at night in prayers, I want to do that because I want to be like them. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You won't be continuing to live in sin if you live by the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Wow. That's powerful. It's great stuff, Paul. People say that person seems to be much closer to God than me. They seem to walk with so much more power. They seem to have so much more faith. They seem to overcome sin so easily. When they pray, they seem to be so connected to God. Why is it that I struggle so much and they seem to be so full of power and faith and victory? Here's the reality. Those people you're talking about may have learned to be more yielded to the Spirit and the power of God because one's fleshly nature, our selfish desires, will war against the Spirit in our life. It will. Our bodies will say, I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do what I want. And the Holy Ghost will say, no. No. There's a war going. Paul said, there's a war in my members. If you see someone that has more power, they're probably more yielded. They're probably more yielded to the Spirit of God. That's why I say live by the Spirit. Now, here's a verse that rocks my world, okay? Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 says, So be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools, that's what he said, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's the key. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because you will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that. The opening part of this message tonight, I'm almost finished. The opening verse, I'm going to shut it down. I'll I'll finish up later. The opening verse, the Jews thought they were drunk. Paul makes this very clear comparison saying, don't be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Write this down. When someone is drunk, what do people say? They basically say they're under the influence. DUI, driving under the influence. Under the influence of what? Alcohol. There's something else controlling them. They're under the influence of power, under the influence of being controlled by alcohol. So what happens when you're under the influence of alcohol? Not from first-hand experience because I've never tasted it in my whole life and it doesn't make me any cleaner than anybody in this building. But I've read about it and I've studied it. When you're under the influence of alcohol, you think differently, you talk differently, and you act differently. When you're under the influence, you have different thoughts, you speak different words, you have different behaviors. The Word says, don't be under the influence of alcohol, be filled with the Spirit of God. When you're under the influence of the Holy Ghost, what will happen? You'll think differently, you'll talk differently, you'll act differently live in the spirit walk in the spirit keep in step with the spirit and you'll be under the influence of the same spirit that raised christ from the dead he said don't be drunk be filled now let's get honest let's just get honest here i'm gonna get a little deeper why do people why do people drink the answer is to get drunk now pastor i disagree with that well hang on just hang on i still got the floor Now, already some of you are getting back. You're saying, well, no, actually, I like the taste. I love the taste. Okay, I'll give that to you. If you drink enough, you may like the taste. But upon your first taste, ain't nobody likes the taste. In fact, it tastes like something that leaves your body after you've drank too much. That's what I hear. Just talking. If you've never had alcohol in your life, I don't recommend it. That you go start it. But if you go and take a shot of tequila, they tell me, I guarantee you, you won't say, Wow, that went down smooth. <laughs> you might get a coughing fit that might just make you pass out. <laughs> Beer, the same thing. Don't ever do it. Some have and regretted it. But it's an acquired taste. You have to drink. You, you that have drunk, I know I'm telling the truth. People drink to get drunk. They drink and drink and drink until they're drunk. It's acquired and you know it. Lord, I'm preaching right now. One might argue that if you drink urine, you might acquire a taste for it. I know it's nasty, but nobody drinks a 12-pack of urine. You know why? Because it won't make you drunk. Why do people get drunk? Comfort. Of feeling alcohol gives them so many problems. i got to get comforted, so i got to drink a little alcohol. It helps me to forget. I don't want to remember all the bad stuff in my life, so I drink to forget. They don't, they, they don't want to feel right now. I, I, I don't want to feel the pain that I'm feeling, and that gives them confidence. Drinking helps loosen me up. Going out tonight, I'm going to start drinking. I'm going to start looking at girls that would never have anything to do with me. He says to his buddy, watch this. He actually thinks because he's drunk that she'll come up to him and say, Whoa, boy, I want you tonight. It gives him confidence to attempt things he would never do otherwise. Then when he gets hooked, that old boy will do anything cause to get another drink because he loves being under the influence of some other substance. Isn't it interesting? Isn't that interesting? How substance in this world is a very bad counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. When you're hurting, instead of getting drunk, why don't you ask for the comforter to come into your life? He's the paraclete. He's the Holy Spirit. He'll help you. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God who can comfort you in your hardships, whose presence can give you the peace that goes beyond any human ability to understand or even comprehend. God, i got to hush because some of you are going to throw the book at me. (laughs) The very presence of God in spirit form can at this moment be the, the comfort that you may need. Alcohol may give you confidence, but the Spirit gives you ability to attempt things in the Holy Ghost that you would never do without the Spirit moving in your life. God wants to give you a supernatural gift that you would never try without the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to do it. And once you get under the influence of the Spirit, you will do anything in your life to get under it again because it's really addictive, really. Seriously. Don't be drunk, be filled. I preached against one thing and for another. Pastor, is the Holy Spirit in filling just once, or can a person have second fillings and third fillings and fourth fillings? How about 83? How about 110? Yes. In the book of Acts chapter 4, the people that received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 were refilled again. You can be refilled. In fact, I think it's important. Paul said, I die every day. I think it's important. To get yourself in the mood of the Spirit every day so that the Holy Ghost can come down and minister to you one more time that day. Amen? Hey, does anybody love the presence of God? Do you really love it? Do you love it? Isn't it neat? The most literal translation for being filled with this present tense verb is to continue being filled. To be filled and continue and continue and continue. It's a continual ongoing work of the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost in a believer's life. To continue making them more like Christ. Some of you need another drink of the Spirit. You're not quite drunk enough yet. Because I believe with all my heart that God wants you to live on His power. And on His grace. And on His infilling. And not have to fight this war by yourself. And that's why I preach that we all need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in our life. Come on, clap your hands right now. Clap your hands. Boy, I love teaching about this. So how do I do it, Pastor? How do do I get into the presence of the Lord? Close your eyes and start talking to him. Sing a song of worship coming at me, Randy. Sing a song of worship. Be aware of his presence. I've got a I've got a channel on my XM radio in my car. My wife and my kids don't like it too much, but it's a it's a it's a place that that plays. It's called Enlightened, and it plays all kinds of old songs and it plays quartet songs. <laughs> I'm showing my age now plays all these these old songs and actually songs you can understand the words to. <laughs> and I have, I've pulled over beside the road sometimes because I can't take it. I just can't take it. I was listening to a song the other day. It's a if I mentioned it, it'd be the dumbest thing to you, but it moved me in such an awesome way. And I pulled over. I was going to the store, going to get me something to eat or something. I pulled my call over, and I just sat there and listened to it because I'm afraid to drive when those kind of songs are going. I don't want to sound goofy here today, but I'm kind of afraid to drive when those songs are going because it's hard to see the road when you're crying and you're weeping. And it took me back. It took me back when I, when I was first called to the ministry. It was a song that they were singing back then. And I started singing that song. Started falling in love with the giver again. Not worshiping the gift, but the giver. And he filled me up again. In an H-E-B parking lot. And I know people walking by saying, what's that man? His wife must have left him. (laughs) She must have took all the money and all the kids. stand. Nobody's left me. Somebody showed up in my car today. I wish sometime we wasn't so blasted educated about everything. I wish we still had feelings. I wish we still could say, you know what, it don't matter how much knowledge I have. When I get in his presence, I still get rubbery. I still get broken down. I still get contrite. He still does something to me that nobody else has ever done to me. He saved my soul. He brought me out of Egypt. He brought me across the Red Sea. He delivered me out of a wilderness. He brought me to a land of promise. And I'm living on the hallelujah side and I would be nothing if I didn't have met him in my life. He's everything to me. I wish we wasn't so educated. I wish we wasn't so proper that that still moved us in our lives. It's alright. It's alright. For you make up to run every now and then. It's okay. It's alright. For you to sob and your shoulders shake a little, it's okay. After all, he died for you. It's okay to get tender in his presence. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with getting tender in his presence. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with people thinking that your husband's left you. Your kids didn't come to see you this Thanksgiving. And you're just having a crying time. And they may think you're drunk. It's okay. It's okay. Because I'm telling you. The more you get under his presence. the better you're going to like yourself. The better life's going to go for you. Hey, hey Dad, how long has it been since you grabbed your kids up and hugged them and wept? Thank God for your kids and your kid look up at you like what in the world's happened to you, Daddy? Well, son, I just had this moment. I just had this moment. And you say, well, Pastor, you're on this all emotional thing. Let me tell you something. If you can't get emotional about Jesus Christ, then shut off all your daytime soaps because they don't need to move you either. You better get emotional about Jesus Christ in this hour. You better get emotional about it. He's a good God. Stand to your feet all over the building. Stand up all over the building. I wonder if somebody would like to come and join me at this altar right now. Just lift your hands with me all over the house. Come on, just come join me at this altar right now. We're just going to have a little Holy Ghost time, a little hallelujah time right now. It'd be all right with me. It'd be all right with you. Come on down. Come on out of the balcony if you just want to step in an aisle in the balcony and bow there, whatever you want to do. You want to come down, it's all right. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.